You're listening to Family, a sermon series about what a biblical household looks like. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, how are we doing, Elevate? We're doing good. Everybody good? Yeah. Yeah. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them you sure look good today. They don't look as good as you, but they look good, right? It's good to give a compliment every now and then. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I am so glad that you are joining us today. I know Pastor Josh was just out here, and he gave us some of the things that are about to come up at the church during the bulletin, but I wanted to kind of let uh, the ladies of the church know about something else that's coming up uh, really in just a few weeks. On Wednesday, September 5th at 6 o'clock, we've got something very special uh, planned for you guys. It's going to be called uh, Friendship in Fountains. I think that's the uh, the correct term. Uh, uh, and some of y'all are like, fountains? What is this, like a wine fountain or something like that? Uh, I don't know. They didn't tell me it was a wine fountain. I think they said it was a chocolate fountain. And so uh, what they're going to do is give you guys an opportunity to come together, hang out, get to know one another a little bit better. Because in the coming months, we've got a lot of events that are going to be planned for the ladies of the church. And so we want you to come and be a part of that. Again, that's on Wednesday, September 5th at 6 o'clock. So make sure you're here for that. All right, so we are. We're wrapping up a series we've been in for the last month called Family, family, and the truth of the matter is I got family, you got family, we all got family. Some of us have immediate family, some of us have blended family, some of us have extended family, some of us have people that really aren't related to us by blood, but because we have such a close relationship with them, we consider them to be family. And what we've said in this series is that we really do, we want our families to be blessed, Uh, but Unfortunately, for the majority of us, when we think about families, sometimes even when we think about our own family, the first word that comes to our mind when, it, when we think about family is not the word blessed. We, we often think about the word troubled. We often think about uh, the, world, the word bothered or we've got problems. Even in our own family, we sometimes, instead of thinking about the word blessed, we think we are stressed. And so I heard about this father who Uh, decided he was going to buy this lie-detecting robot. This is a true story. He was going to buy this lie-detecting robot. And so he bought this lie-detecting robot, and he decided he's going to try it out one one evening at dinner. And so it's dinner time, and so he turns the lie-detecting robot on. And so he looks at his son, and he says, Son, uh, he says, son, uh, what would you do this, this afternoon? And so uh, the son said, uh, I was doing homework. And so the robot immediately walked over to the son and slapped the son in the face. And so the son was like, okay, okay, okay. I was at one of my friend's house watching movies. And so the father said, okay, watching movies. What, what movie did you watch? And so the son said, we watched Toy Story. And the robot slapped the son again, you know. And so the son said, okay, okay, we were watching bad movies, dirty movies. And so the dad Dad said, what? Dirty movies at your age? I didn't even know what a dirty movie was. And so the robot walked over to the father and slapped the father in the face, you know? And so, so the, wife, the wife's shaking her head, and she's laughing about it, and she just looks at her husband and said, he really is your son, you know? And the robot walks over to the mom and slaps the mom. And, true story. I said, true. Some of y'all are like, I don't get it. It's funny, okay? Funny, funny. But truthfully, that's what a whole lot of families look like, right? Full of lies, 
full of deceit, full of problems, just turmoil. Statistics say that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's sad. Uh, statistics say that one out of every three marriages, in one out of every three marriages, one or both of the partners will admit to having cheated on the other. It's, it's, it's terrible. 26% of all children under the age of 18 are being raised in a single parent home where the majority of those homes are, are single mothers. 25% of all women will supposedly be the victim of some sort of domestic abuse. Families really are under attack. The enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, and that's exactly what he is doing with so many families today. Again, when we think about family, we usually don't think of the word blessed, but, but that really is what we want. We want our families to be blessed, and so what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at the most famous sermon that has ever been preached. We've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He, he stood on the side of a mountain as, as crowds of people gathered around him, and he had this teaching that was completely different than what was going around uh, during the time. And so his teaching really dealt with how we interact with one another and how we really treat one another. And so what we've been doing is specifically applying his teaching to our families because what we have said throughout this series is that we don't want our families just to be considered a Christian family. We want our families to be considered Christ-centered, right? Because 80% of Americans claim to be Christians. 80% of Americans claim to identify with Christianity. But the sad truth is when you look at 80% of the families in our nation, oftentimes 80% of the families in our churches, you wouldn't be able to say that those families truly are Christ-centered. But we want that. That's, that's what we want. So we don't want to just be Christian. We want to be Christ-centered. Centered. But you should know that if that's you, if that really is your desire is to be Christ centered, you should know that you are going to be persecuted. Think about this entire series that we've been in. I mean, if in your family, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? I mean, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? They will be filled. Well, if you truly do hunger and thirst, for righteousness in this world that you and I live in that is completely unrighteous. You need to know that people are going to laugh at you. People will mock you. Then the next week we talked about blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. For they will, they will see God. If you're truly trying to live with a pure heart in a world that, idol, uh, you know, that uh, uh, idolicizes uh, impurity, you know what I'm saying? You, you are be mocked. It's going to happen to you. If you try to protect your kids' hearts, if you try to protect your kids' morals, again, people are going to look at you and think something is wrong with you. Last week, we said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? For they will be called children of God. If you are someone who is willing to forgive the unforgivable, if you are someone who is willing to turn the other cheek when someone actually does something to you, people may look at you and think that is dumb. People will look at you and say, you can't just let people walk all over you. But I got a newsflash for you this morning. 
If you and I really are going to be a bridge between God and humanity, you need to know that people will walk over you. They will. But then Jesus goes on to say in his teaching in Matthew chapter 5 that blessed are the persecuted. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to see this. Check it out. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10, the Bible says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Now, I need to stop for just a second because you might not be like me, but when I read that, when I read that, I'm thinking, man, Jesus is crazy. Jesus has been lost his mind. He must have been out in the sun entirely too long. He must have ate some fish that was spoiled. What in the world is he talking about? Blessed are you when you are persecuted. When you really think about what Christ is saying, especially in the original Greek language, this is unbelievable. Because when he says insult in the Greek, that has to do with being scolded. And in fact, it means to cast in your teeth. It means to cast in your face. Now, if you think about Christ's life, when people cast at his teeth and cast in his face, they did more oftentimes than, than just words, throwing words back in his face. Oftentimes what they would do is they would punch him. Think about Jesus as he's being arrested. What did they do? They beat him, right? They spit on him. They mocked him. They insulted him. And if that type of thing happens to you, Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you if that happens to you. That doesn't make any sense to me. See, I like to watch UFC fights. Anybody else, you like to watch UFC fights? Some of you are like, what? I can't believe that. Well, I do. Okay, I'm sorry. I like it. Okay? And so, so I, like to watch, I like to watch some of these UFC fights. And so have you ever seen some of these, some of these fighters like after a fight? Have you ever seen what they look like after a fight? Like I got a picture here we're going to show you. Before and after a fight, right? This is before and after a fight. I mean, now, if you look at this guy on the right after the fight, he actually won the fight here. Okay, so if you look at this guy, oh, uh, you know, and, and you see him, you wouldn't say, wow, that guy's blessed. <laughs> You'd say, man, that dude fell out the ugly tree and hit every limb on the way down, right? That's what you would say, man. What happened to that guy? But Jesus says, again, we are blessed when this type of thing happens to us, not because we were in some fight in the UFC not because we got an attitude with somebody and they cold clocked us. You know what I mean? Not, not because we, we were being dumb and doing something dumb. But he says, blessed are you when you are mocked, when you are insulted, when this happens to you for righteousness sake. What does that mean, righteousness sake? It means right living. Blessed are you when you are insulted, when you are persecuted for doing the right thing. See, oftentimes when we think of persecution, we, we often think about preachers and saints from, from years gone by. We think about people who were on the front lines of really getting Christianity established, and we think, well, of course, those people were going to be persecuted. You know what I mean? Jesus even told them it was, that was going to happen to them. But I want you to know that it's not just preachers and, and teachers and apostles and the original disciples who were persecuted. The first example of persecution that is found in God's word is found in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. If you know the story, there's this story about these two guys named Cain and Abel, and they were brothers. 
They were, they were brothers, and Cain kills Abel. Well, Cain doesn't kill Abel because Abel was constantly throwing a Bible in his face and telling him he was going to hell. That's not why Cain killed him. Cain killed Abel because Abel was living right. And watching his brother do the right thing convicted him. It convicted him and caused him to lash out and kill his own brother. Again, it wasn't because his brother was doing anything wrong. It was because his brother was doing something right. And what I'm saying to you today, this morning, is that if you decide that you're going to live right, if you and your family decide that you are going to live the right way and be Christ-centered, you're going to be persecuted. If you're a teenager or you're a young person and you say, you know what, I'm going to honor God with sexual purity. I'm not going to have sex until I get married. Some of your friends will look at you and say, that's dumb. Why in the world would you do that? And they'll make fun of you and they will mock you. But blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, for doing the right thing. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I'm going to be serious about my relationship with God. I'm going to be serious about leading my family to God. And so you say, we're going to make a commitment to come to church even during baseball season. You know what I mean? And so your son, your five-year-old son, I mean, they got a game that's scheduled for Sunday. And so you don't go. And people on your, your son's team say, I can't believe that you would put church before your five-year-old son's baseball future. And you think, you know what? Well, I think church is a better investment in my child's future. So we're going to make a commitment to be there. People will look at you and say, you know what? That is dumb. In your life, maybe you are living right. You are doing things right. And things are going incredibly wrong in your life. And so people will look at you and say, see there, if God loves you, why is all this bad stuff happening to you? If God was here, why is all of this going on? And so what you realize, again, is that things might not be going right in your life, not because you're doing something wrong, but again, because you're doing something right. And there's this spiritual opposition because of your choice to be Christ-centered. This spiritual opposition because you have decided, you know what, we're going to be a Christ-centered family. And so you will be persecuted for your faith. But how do we prepare our family? How do we prepare our family for that? I want to give you three ways that you and I can prepare our family for the persecution that comes with really being Christ-centered. If you're keeping notes, you want to write them down. The first thing you've got to teach your family about persecution is that they need to expect persecution. They need to expect persecution. This is so important. I want you to see this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Here's what the Bible says. It says, in fact, everyone, everybody say everyone. Now look at the person sitting next to you and say, he's talking about you. And now look at the person who talked to you and said, it's talking about you too. Uh, everyone, men, women, boys, and girls, everyone who what? Who want to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. Not you might be, not you could be, not you, you might possibly be, but will be. I, I don't know about you guys, but I missed this memo when I decided to start following Christ. Nobody ever, nobody ever told me that that was going to happen. You know what I'm saying? I always thought, well, man, if I give my life to Christ, everything's going to be going a lot easier. Man, I'm living for you, God. 
to take care of me and work things out for me. But the Bible says, no, nah, man, remember the picture of this guy we just showed you? This, this guy. There are going to be times in your life when you look like that. Maybe not physically, but mentally and emotionally because of the pain that comes along with people who persecute you for living a godly life. If your family is Christ-centered, people will not understand it. I know that I didn't understand it when I was younger, man. I didn't understand it. I, see, before I got saved, I had this friend. I had this friend. We're still friends to this day. His name was Adam, man, and he was a Christian. He was a Christian, and I wasn't. I just was an idiot. And so, uh, you know, man, I remember, I remember in, in school, we had several classes together, had several classes together, and I remember it was test day in history class. You know what I'm saying? And so he sat right in front of me. I sat behind him. And so I was like, man, I'm going to be able to cheat off of, Al. I'm be able to cheat off of Adam's test because Adam always studied. I mean, he, he graduated, you know, kappa cum laude. I graduated, thank God almighty. You know what I'm saying? I was just so excited I got to graduate. And so, and so I'm, looking, I'm, looking over, I'm looking over his shoulder. I was like, hey, Adam, what's the, what's the first blank? He says, your name. I said, oh, I got that. <laughs> Adam, what's the, what's the next blank and Adam looks at me and he says, man, I'm not going to let you cheat. It's not right. And so I look at Adam. I'm like, Adam, I thought we were friends, man. I can't believe you. I got mad at Adam and I said, Adam, you are too much of a Christian. Now I'm a preacher. <laughs> I'm eating my words, right? I mean, my words, but that's, that's what I said. I did not understand why Adam wanted to do the right thing. I made fun of Adam, well, since I've become a Christian, the same type thing has happened to me numerous times. Seriously, we'll be out sometimes, you know, ask a man, we'll be out sometimes eating, and, you know, we'll just be talking to somebody, and I'll say, hey, you know, why don't you come, come to church one Sunday? And they're like, well, where do you go to church? I'm like, well, I go to Elevate Church, and they'll go, oh, I've heard about that church. I'm like, really? What'd you hear about that church? Well... I just heard some things about the preacher, and I'm like, really, what'd you hear? And they'll say, it's not my place to tell. And so me and Amanda will both go, well, you know, we've been going there for years, and we love it. We'd love for you to come and join us one Sunday. I keep waiting for the day for them to walk in, you know, the back doors and see me and go, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, again, they just don't understand. I'm serious, Amanda and I would just expect that kind of stuff. I've told my kids, look, when kids are being mean to you because you are doing the right thing, I say, look, baby, I hate that that happened to you, but it's going to happen. It is going to happen. Jesus said that is going to happen. I told Brianna Grace this past week, I said, baby, look, because of what I do, there's a lot of people who just don't like me. And I said, because they don't like me, they are naturally not going to like you. When they find out you're my child, they're not going to like you. And isn't that what Jesus told us? Isn't that the same thing in John chapter 15, starting in verse 18? Here's what Jesus said. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus said you can expect persecution. We've got to teach our family. I mean, if you're really going to be Christ-centered, you've got to teach them to expect persecution. One of our problems is that we don't really expect 
to experience persecution. Come on, be real. When something, when something happens to you because you're living for Christ, when something happens to you because you're doing things right, aren't you shocked? Oh, I can't believe this is happening. I'm doing everything right. Why, God, how in the world could this happen? We're shocked. But Jesus again said it's going to happen. Remember what Paul said again in 2 Timothy 3.12. Everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So not only do we expect persecution, the next thing that I want you to see, if you keep a note, you want to write it down, is that we endure persecution. We teach our families to endure persecution. Look at what Paul told the church in uh, Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. He says, when we are cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we what? We endure it. Now let me stop because I want you to see a few things. The majority of people, even the majority of people in this room, are quitters. Welcome to Elevate Church, where we want you to feel good about yourself, right? Come on now. How many of you have ever started a plan, you know, and quit it? Like you started it one morning at breakfast, I'm going to do good. And then lunchtime came, I'll start again tomorrow. Just a couple of us. I know I have started and quit so many diets, man. We, we just do that, man. The cravings for donuts, ice cream, and pizza, man, they just get too intense and we quit. Well, there are so many people who quit on their diets. There are so many people who quit on their, on their family. Man, this has just gotten hard. I'm, it's not happily ever after, so I'm just going to quit. For better, for worse, where is happily ever after in there? Right? So we quit on our family, and there are some people who claim to be Christians, and they quit on Jesus. They do. The first sign of persecution, that the first sign of resistance, oh, I don't know about this. I, I can't believe this. I quit. But folks, we're not called to quit. We're called to endure. Paul says when we are persecuted, we endure. He doesn't say when we, we're persecuted, we whine about it. He doesn't say when we're persecuted, we, we complain about it. Oh, no, somebody unfriended me on Facebook because I'm posting Bible verses. Anybody know that person? Oh, I can't take it anymore. This is just so hard trying to live for Jesus. Look, the persecution that you and I experience that causes us to quit on Christ is so much lighter. It's so much lighter than the persecution that Christians around our world still experience to this day. Did you know that there are still people in our world, if they confess faith in Christ, their families will literally disown them? Did you know that there are still places in our world where if people confess their faith in Christ and they won't denounce it, they'll actually cut their tongue out. They'll cut their ear off. They mark them. There are still places in our world today where people die because of their faith in Christ. Yet they persevere to the end. They endure. So when someone makes fun of you because you have 
different values. Or someone says something mean about you because you're living right. You just take it. You just endure it. Because you are a follower of Christ. And, and when you do that, there's something amazing that happens in your heart. There's something amazing that happens in your life. God does something deep inside of you. When you endure spiritual persecution, it's like your faith, your faith grows. In fact, when, when, you, when you endure persecution, the intimacy that you have with Christ, it just, it just increases, and your spiritual resolve, man, it just, it just is strengthened. I, I, remember, I remember when I first decided that I was going to answer the call to preach, that I was going to be a preacher. I had some friends. I was like, man, I'm going to be a preacher. And they said, what? Why in the world would you do that? Preachers are weird. And I still think they are weird. I, I agreed 100%. You know, I was like, a lot of them really are weird, you know. But, but I lost some friends because of my decision. I remember when I enrolled in Bible college, true story, I I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine myself going to college. I couldn't afford college. My mom couldn't afford college for me. And so uh, I remember going, and how in the world am I going to pay for this, right? I mean, college is expensive. Anybody know that? And so I said, I said man, I don't know if I can do it. And I, I really, I heard God say, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. I said, okay. So I remember I enrolled in, in Bible college, and I have to go to the finance office to talk to the people about how you're going to pay for school. I go in there. The guy's like, all right, Robert, how are you going to pay for school? I said, man, I don't even know. God's going to take care of it. And they looked at me like I was weird. I said, I'm for real, man. That's what he told me. And so he just shook his head, and he said, let me talk to you about some student loan options. And so the next year, I went in again. Uh, Robert, how are you going to pay for college? I told him the same thing. God's, going, God's, going, God's got my, he got it. That just sounds weird, right? You go to the dealership, I need a new car. God's going to pay for it. People are like, man, you crazy, man. What you been drinking? You know, they want to do a drug test on you or something like that, right? But for four years, I told the same story to the finance guy. God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. And he laughed at me every time I said that to him. Well, let me tell you something. When I graduated Bible college, somebody took care of all of my student loans. They wrote a check for it. And I wanted to go back to the finance guy and say, laugh at me again. Laugh at me for believing in God and laugh at me for my faith. I didn't do it, but I thought about it. You know what I'm saying? But I really did. I want to do that, man. I remember when I was going to get ordained to be a preacher. There were people who didn't want to ordain me. They said, oh, he's not going to be a good preacher. He's not like us. He's just not going to do a good job. And so I just looked at the people. I said, look, I'm going to preach whether or not you ordain me or not because God's already ordained me to preach. You know what I mean? And I've been preaching ever since. But the resistance that I felt, the comments that I heard, the things that happened to me, what I want you to know is that it, it deepened my faith and it helped me realize I'm not living my life for the approval of others. I'm living my life for the approval of God. It did something inside of me. And if you haven't been persecuted in a while, you're almost at a spiritual disadvantage because all throughout history, if you study the church, the, the church Thrive. The church grew when they were persecuted. There was this sense of unity, this sense of passion, and this boldness. And persecution, what it does is it weeds out those individuals who aren't taking their commitments serious. And again, it strengthens, it strengthens those who do mean what they are claiming. And when your family stands for, together for Christ, 
When your family says more than, oh, yeah, we're, I mean, we're Christian. We're not something else, so we're Christian. When your family really says, you know what, Christ-centered, we, our lives, we live our life, Christ in us, we, in him we move, in him we live, and in him we have our being. When you live your life that way as a family, it draws you together. When your family is persecuted, there is this sense of strength and identity for who God has called you to be. And when you do that, you will see things change in your family. Let me, let me, let me give you just this unbelievable spiritual principle. I wish I could tell you that I wrote it, but I didn't. But I read it, and you can just say, hey, uh, Robert said it, and it made me feel good. But anyway, it's real good if you want to write it down. Here's, what, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's what I want you to realize. Here it is. Where family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. Where family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. Let me say it again. Where family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. But where family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. Where there is deep, grounded, spiritual identity. When you and your family, again, say we are Christ followers. We're going to be persecuted. We've got a higher calling. We're living for something higher than the lower things of this world. When that is your family identity, I promise you the pressure that your kids will experience at school and even the pressure you yourself experience, it will not have as much strength because you will know that you have a purpose and you will know who you are and whose you are. It will do something for your family. But when you and your family just kind of live your life aimlessly and you don't really have a, 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 you don't really understand your purpose, I want you to know that that is when peer pressure will be the strongest. So we expect persecution. We endure persecution. Look at what Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 13. He says, when we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. Paul said, it's okay that the world looks down on us. We expect it. We endure it. And there's one more thing that I want you to see that you've got to teach your family when it comes to persecution. Not only do they expect, not only do they endure, but you've got to teach them to embrace persecution, to embrace it. You know what? You just thank God that you get to suffer in some small way like his son who gave his all for you. You embrace it. Peter in the Bible was writing to a group of Christians who were experiencing persecution like you and I really can't even believe or imagine. In fact, some of the things that would happen to the people who were following Christ is they would be gathered up and they would be thrown into a coliseum in front of a huge crowd of people and they would release lions that would go in there and literally devour those individuals, all because they would not denounce their faith in Christ. Something else that would happen to these individuals is that the emperor Nero would come along and he would capture them. And if they wouldn't, if they wouldn't denounce their faith in Christ, what he would do is he would put them in cages in his gardens and he would light them on fire so that he could walk through his gardens in the middle of the night and enjoy them true persecution. So he's writing to these individuals. And look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery 
ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. You're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Verse 16 says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But what? You praise God that you bear that name. You praise him. When your friends make fun of you at school because you are praying before you eat your lunch, you know what you do? You just praise God that you bear that name. If you're at work and you decide, you know what, I'm going to take a break on my lunch break and I'm going to read the Bible and other people say, hey, you know what, look at that weirdo. You praise God that you bear that name. If you say, what, well, you know, all my friends are going out and getting drunk and they keep inviting me to go get drunk. You say, you know what, I'm not going to do that because that is not God's will for my life. He doesn't want me to be drunk on wine. He wants me to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So I'm not going to do that. And they look at you like you're a holy roller. You just say, hey, praise God that I bear that name. If you say, you know what? I'm not going to have sex before marriage. If you are married, you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to honor my wife and I'm not going to cheat on her. I'm not going to cheat on my husband. And people say, what is wrong with you? Everybody's doing it. You say, that is not God's will for my life. And if they make fun of you, you just just praise God that you bear that name. Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for that. See, some of you, you may, you may feel like you must be doing something wrong. Because things aren't going right in your life. But maybe they're, they're not going wrong because you're doing wrong. Maybe they're going wrong because you're doing right. Listen to me. If everything is always good and there's no spiritual opposition, maybe you're walking the wrong way. Because when you start to walk to God, there's opposition. When you walk to God, there's this spiritual opposition. John MacArthur once said, the fact that so many professed believers are popular and praised by the world does not indicate that the world has raised its standards, but instead that many who call themselves by Christ's name have lowered theirs. Have you lowered the standard of God's calling in your life? Have you lowered the standard of God's calling for your family? Jesus said, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, For they will be called children of God. And he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. If you live for him, if your family lives for him, if Christ is the center, 
you'll experience persecution. Is he worth that to you? Is he the center of your life? Is he the center of your family? I sure hope so. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life, but I know today that if God was here, he'd say, look, it's, it's time to weed out those who aren't going to take their relationship with Christ seriously. And he'd say, look, there's some, some of us here that need to fully commit our heart and life to him. And so if you're here today and you know you need to surrender your life to Christ, you know you need to be saved so that you can be set free, I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray this prayer. Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Father, save me. Mold me into a completely new person. A person who's willing to live for you from this day forward. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. And I thank you for saving me. We're continuing to pray. Every head's bowed. But if you prayed that prayer today to be saved, I'm going to ask that right where you are, you just lift your hands so that I can know God's moving. Amen. 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 A lot of hands. Father, thank you so much. Father, today we are so thankful for your love for us. Father, the fact that you were willing to go to Calvary's cross to die for our sins. Father, you were persecuted so much for us. And we are blessed to live in a country and in a nation where the persecution that we experience is minor compared to the persecution that others experience around this world. But I pray today that you would give us the strength and courage to be the men of God, the women of God, the children of God that you would have us to be. Help us, Father, to endure. Help us, Father, to embrace. Help us, Father, to truly be yours. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.